Welcome to Strength in the Numbers. My name is Andrew Codd, accountant, author, and commercial finance entrepreneur. And it's my job each week to bring you leaders in finance and business and deconstruct with them their real stories, insights, and hard-won lessons into practical advice on the key strengths and qualities you need to remain relevant in accounting and finance today, as well as the steps you can begin to take to elevate the impact you make to have a fun, successful, and rewarding career in accounting and finance. Now let's go over to the show. Our guest mentor today is Gitanjali Tandon. She has 15 plus years experience in corporate finance, specifically with an FP&A. And she's also currently the global IT finance lead at Monsanto, where she leads the strategic planning and analysis, the decision support, as well as the financial management of a half a billion dollar IT budget. What really came across during our time together on the show is her passion and love of working with the numbers, in particular how they tell a story and how she also combines that with her love of cooking. Some of the key points we cover in this episode are the key ingredients on how to make an impact storytelling with the numbers, the three things we can do better to become better translator of the business needs, why it's really important also to take time to understand where our audience is at and some useful questions to help us understand how we can get there, as well as maybe a simple technique we can do before finally presenting our analysis to them. And finally, she shares three small steps to help us avoid getting surprised by the digital disruption she's witnessing with her partnership with the IT function. So if you'd like to check out the detailed timestamp show notes with this episode, you can find them at sitnshow.com slash podcast slash 022. There you'll also find summaries of the key quotes, links to resources, as well as some ways you can connect with Geetanjali. So without further ado, over to Geetanjali and the show. So I started my career in agricultural business straight out of college, and I was working in the strategy area for that company. Uh, Where I loved and found my passion was working with numbers. And so I got an opportunity to work with the finance crew to do some strategic analysis for the company. And that is where I started with finance and actually stayed with finance because I love numbers. I moved to a financial services company, and that is where I really got my footing in financial analysis, uh, data analytics. Um, This is where I actually looked at 10 years worth of data or more and uh, got together trends and analysis that was used in budgeting and forecasting. That is the basis that helped me um, develop my career and passion in the financial planning and analysis area. From there, I moved on to various roles within corporate finance, really enhancing my skills and knowledge within finance on the job. And I also did my executive MBA, as you mentioned, from Georgetown University, where I really, really enhanced the addition of the knowledge in the financial world uh, to my knowledge from the job. I moved to Monsanto, again, in the strategy area, where I was staying and uh, leading the financial planning and analytics for the multinational licensing deals uh, for various companies uh, with Monsanto. Acquired. What this movement required was really helping me understand how the business runs. Um, It took me a lot of time in a financial services company, I was with Capital One, to understand the financial services industry and how financial services industries run, what does the PML look like? And then I moved on to an agricultural biotechnology firm where I took time to really work with scientists and salespeople to understand how agricultural industry actually 
actually works and runs. That is what helped me apply my skills within the agriculture industry. And I moved on to leading the product management finance uh, within Monsanto in their commercial area. And now I'm the IT uh, lead for uh, global IT within Monsanto. Even moving within functions that has made me learn how various functions work. Uh, Moving into IT was absolutely new to me. So I've ticked time six months or more than that to really work with the IT people to understand how IT functions run. What does various things within IT mean? Um, and how then that translates into the financials and the financial impact. So in my career, what I've learned is take the time to understand the business because that is where you can actually be the valuable business partner for your business partner functions. There's so much in there, Kitanjali. I just don't know where to start because I think our audience can learn so much from the many functions and areas you've been working with. So look, I'll jump in uh, to start with IT because mm-hmm. that's where you are at the moment. So in terms of how you've got to understand more about how IT works and how what they do impacts the financials, perhaps are there a few simple steps you can share with our listeners on how they could also get familiar with their part of the business? Maybe if you use IT as an example, perhaps. Sure. Uh, Now, IT is a very interesting area because today every company has an IT function, which is moving from a back office to a front office Mm -hmm. area. So, when you're moving into a new function, or let's take an example, when I moved into IT, I took the time to listen. Listen when you're in meetings. Listen when you're with people who are experts and find the experts. Ask the questions of who are the experts in the organization and go and talk to them about how their function and don't be afraid to ask questions. Asking questions is important. It doesn't matter where you are in the journey of being a function, functional business partner, but ask the questions. Ask questions today in IT, for example, what is cloud? There is a lot of people asking, you know, talking about cloud computing, but do you really understand what cloud computing is? Sit down with someone to understand that. Go read about it. Uh, the same thing when we talk about infrastructure. Um, what does infrastructure in IT actually mean? Uh, what does networks in IT actually mean? And you know, really take the time to not only ask and talk to people within your company, but go out and read about it also and combine the two and then come back and ask the questions of what you're reading with the experts. But I think it's a combination of both. But take the time, yeah. especially the first six months, to really find who the experts are. Go talk to them and ask questions. And don't be afraid. No question is stupid. You really need to ask the questions. I agree with you. I don't think there is any stupid questions because people will, particularly the business partners, will respect you showing an interest in their business. And I also like an area where you say go away and maybe do a bit of research what's being said in papers or in journals perhaps and bring that back and check it in with them to see if that resonates or is consistent with the challenges they're saying Mm -hmm. they're having so and you say six months you think six months is broadly what it takes to get a a firm understanding of 
their challenges and their opportunities? I think yes. And as you move from function to function, that is the time that you should take. In the first, I think, beginning of the career, it will take a little bit of more time. You are coming yeah, out of yeah. college, for example, and you're really trying to understand how the industry runs. Or if you're moving from company to company, it'll take a little bit of a longer time. But if you're moving within a company to different functions, I think six months is a good um, you know, amount of time to take to understand how functions run. Now, it's not that you will understand everything within that the six months, but I think it gives you a good footing. Yes. Yeah. And look, I really appreciate clarifying that because I think we're all coming at this at different stages in our career. So it could be different for different people, but it's going to take at least six months uh, to get mm-hmm. a, a firm understanding. And in terms of I don't, I don't uh, you know, I don't expect you to give away what's going on in particular in Monsanto, but mm-hmm. in general, uh, you know, in finance, we're you know looking to move from our back office to be more front office, mm-hmm. and in IT, it's interesting to hear that that's perhaps where they would like to go as well. Mm-hmm. So, what would be sort of maybe the main couple of challenges that I, you're, you're hearing from your business partners in IT that mm-hmm. would be sort of helpful or maybe resonate with our finance and accounting audience? Well, I think that's a very, very interesting question because I deal with it every day. So (laughs) the most important challenge that our IT business partners are facing is to be able to tell their story and Mm -hmm. help people outside their functions to understand IT and where the expenses are. Because the way you're moving IT from a back office to a front office means how you're budgeting with an IT changes. Um, You know, there was a time when you were investing a lot of money in building that infrastructure with IT. Mm -hmm. So there was a lot of capital expense that was that you would go in and get an approval for and go spend that money. And it comes as depreciation. Now, the industry is moving to a regular update, more of a life cycle management with an IT, more subscription sort of services, which moves it from a capital expense to an OPEX. And it changes from a depreciation where it gets hidden within a depreciation line to an actual expense within IT, within an, an, a line item which goes up and down, depends on how you use it. And that is a change of story within IT and really gives the responsibility to the business that there is an expense of how you use your resources and, and how you use your resources as an expense that is impacted to that. Telling that story and telling about technical debt, telling about life cycle management of IT is a challenge. And not a lot of people understand that, especially in a company which is not an IT company. It's a it's a biotechnology company. It's, it's an agricultural company where for years you've been spending um, money in R&D and sales. But uh, places like even finance and HR and IT, they are back office enabling functions. But now IT is becoming much more of an, uh, of an important function so that the business is actually able to develop, de- deliver and develop. Uh, people are um, investing, any company today in any industry is investing a lot more in their digitization. And so it is, it, it is moving, your revenues are getting impacted by that. So how you're budgeting and how you're forecasting with an IT changes. And there's a lot of explanation that you have to do to people outside IT. And that includes finance, by the way. Finance does not understand IT very well. 
it's a very interesting observation but uh, you know how how perhaps are there any other opportunities for us to understand IT together or help them get their mm-hmm. message across or tell their story that, that you sort of began the conversation with? That is where you have to take the time to understand who your audience is. Really take mm-hmm. the time to understand. If I'm going and talking to my CFO or, or my finance partners, I really understand how they're looking at numbers. They want to understand where you're putting the expense and why I'm putting that expense. Why is that important? And what is the longer term impact, not only just now, you know, in the next few months, not only in this year, but what should we expect in the next few years? And basically telling them that same story again and again and again. We cannot come up with different metrics every time you're meeting people. Uh, you have to get them familiar with the same metrics. So one of the things that we are trying to do is really help use data to help finance and other functions understand the expenses within IT. So developing metrics that are repeatable, um, that, that are trackable easily, and that help explain the expense that we are doing with an IT to give responsibility to the business. So, for example, if you're saying, uh, let's go back to cloud computing, because that's a very, very um, important mm-hmm. expense today. Now, every time you it's not just data storage. It's every time you're using that data, there's an expense to that. That's a very different way of looking at looking at the expense of data um, versus what it was even two years ago, because there was data centers that we had. We, you buy a server and the data is there and you know what? You use it. And there's a depreciation expense and maintenance expense to that. But now you're mo- moving to things like Amazon Web Services, Google Analytics or whatever that may be. And then there is every time you're computing, there's a cost to it. So we have to help our business partners, whether that's R&D, whether that's commercial, whether it's supply chain, whoever that may be, is how they're using the data and be able to show it to them and help them understand their budgets and their forecasts and and help them control that expenses also. So we have to be able to explain that. And that is a metric that we should be able to give on a regular basis. It's repeatable, it's trackable, and we are able to tell the story. That's one simple way of looking at it, but there's the same thing. You have to be able to do that with other expenses. Um, and so you look at research, you look at what's out there in the industry, what are the industry ways of looking at things um, and um, you know explaining IT expenses. So there's research done by CEP, research done by Gartner. Um, there are companies doing the same thing. And, and you put that together and say, okay, what works for my company? And, and start with that and start putting a story together and then, you know, repeat that story again and again and again so that people get worse with it. Yeah, because it just reminded me there of actually one of your, your blog posts, which was, mm-hmm. I know it was titled Using Numbers to Tell a Story, but I think yeah. the, or if I recall, the, the main message was using a particular recipe mm-hmm. to get to the end result. And you were using, mm-hmm. I think it was a recipe behind a, a bill, making a stock. Yes. And I guess when you start, it's sort of a bit of an unknown and you're trialing a few different ingredients, but then you settle on a, something that works for you and that people value the taste of in the end. And I'm just, yeah. I, that sort of came back to mind when you were just speaking there, Gitanjali, and I'm thinking from those metrics perspective, or maybe pulling that story together, the recipe mm-hmm. for that success, sort of what key ingredients should we be looking to so that we can build that that story that recipe for not only our success but to make an impact for the business as well 
Sure. So you're going back to one of my favorite topics. I love cooking. And so that's why I put the analogy <laughs> together with, you know, a recipe and, and, and numbers. And I, I love numbers. So I kind of put those two together. <laughs> uh, so, but, but before, but let, let's go back to the analogy of a recipe. Before you start cooking anything, you won't know what you're cooking, right? What are you cooking for? So let's take, a, uh, let's take the example of a stock. What do you want to use the stock for? A stock can be used for soups. It can be used for sauces. You can, you know, store it for some other use. It can be used for basis for many things. You can even put, uh, you know, I'm coming from India. You can actually even put stocks in curries. It gives a different flavor. What do you want to use the stock for? You should have that understanding. And what kind of of a stock do you want? Do you want a vegetarian stock? Do you want a chicken stock? So that depends, that helps you understand the ingredients. In the same way, let's apply that to a story that we're trying to tell in, uh, for example, in the IT expenses. What is it that I want out of my story? I want to help understand where the, uh, how we are spending the IT expenses, what the trends are, and help them take some responsibility of the decisions that you're taking as a business on what impact would that have in IT. So, hey, I want to go ahead and digitize my company. What impact does that have in IT expenses? Not just, hey, I want to build a website, but there's a lot more back office to that. So there's an ingredient, you know, so, hey, I want to get digitization. What are the ingredients that are going to let me to that digitization? Right. So mm -hmm. and there is a cost to that. So that's the story. So that means help them understand what ingredients that we are using to get there. And then you start putting together, hey, let's say I want vegetable stock. Um, it's going back to the recipe. OK, so what vegetables do I have? What kind of flavors do I want, etc. So I put those vegetables in and I boil that together. Same thing, and when I'm trying to tell the story, what is it the data that I have? What kind of data do I have? What how you know how many years of data do I have? Um, let's put it all together and let's you know take a step back and say, okay, what are my IT expenses trying to tell? What are my limitations? You know, I you know a lot of us are struggling with. Um, you know, kind of systems that we have, kind of data that mm -hmm. we have. Uh, we've gone through transformations, so we might not have years of data that we can compare easily. So what is the data that I have? And, uh, and what is it that, you know, on the whole, without going into the details, what is it that data is trying to tell me? Understand that before I even delve deep into that. And then, okay, once we've boiled it, Hey, we skim off the top. Every time you're making a stock, um, there's a lot of boiling that happens two or three hours, and then there's a lot of foam that builds on the top, and you skim that foam top on top of it. So that's, again, when you are working with numbers and you're trying to get to the metrics that I want so that I can tell the story, there's a lot of information that is on top, um, and, and you skim the foam off from it. So you skim, you take the numbers off, because there's a lot of information that the numbers will tell you. Not every single information is that important or not every single analysis is going to get you uh, to the metrics or to the discussion that you want. So you remove those and then you're left with the crux. That is your stock. Okay, that's the stock. So you actually filter that stock and, you know, that's your soup. The same thing after doing the analysis, after boiling the ocean with numbers and you're skimming off the top and you filter out all the numbers, what's the few main things what's what's the four to five main things that that my story is telling me what are my metrics that that i want to talk about and and that's that's interesting and i think there's no when it comes to really understanding the numbers to tell a story i don't think there's any quick wins in terms of yeah mm -hmm. these are your 
few that you go straight to you no. do need to sort of boil that ocean mm-hmm. to reduce it down to the stock yes but in terms sure. of that reduction process what sort of things are you looking out for to know that those are the four or five uh, key indicators to include in the final stock or you know, that are the crux of what we're looking for is there any sort of telltale signs that maybe sure. our audience can look out for sure and i think the most important part of it is going back to the beginning what am i going to use that for so um, if I'm using, for example, if I'm using the stock for soups, I could wanted a clear thing, right? So yeah. I'm looking for that kind of, if I'm using it for sauces, if I'm using it for curries, then maybe I need to put more spices in it or whatever that may be. And the sauces, they, they you know, it doesn't really need to be that clear. It needs to be thicker, right? Mm-hmm. That's the recipe way of looking at it. In, in numbers or in analysis, who is my audience? If my audience is, let's say, in my world, my audience could be finance, it could be R&D. R&D is huge for us, and IT is a huge supporter for R&D. So, um, and R&D is really looking at what my impact is, what is the future development, where the investments are going, and and when will I get uh, the impact of that. My finance function is really looking at, hey, what are the, my current, is is it a capital expense, is it an operating expense? What are the trends looking like? Where is it that, uh, you know, what decisions do, will we make that can impact? If we make a decisions on savings, what can impact? What would that impact be on the business? Can we make that or can we not? What are the trade-offs that they need to do with the business? There's a different discussion going on in there. And how I explain it to finance would be very different, the same numbers. Hey, for example, I need to spend X million dollars um, on a transformation of moving my shutting down, for example, the data center and moving that into all web. Uh, there's a very dis- different discussion that I will have with my R&D partners on this one versus I will have with the finance partners on this one. Yeah, no, I was just thinking, I was just fascinated that a lot of people just think you can pull together one story and mm-hmm. that suits all purposes. You know, basically what you're saying is, depends on who you speak to. If you're speaking to someone yes. in R&D, they're expecting a different viewpoint or a different type of support as finance line management might. Yes, exactly. And so you have to really take the time to understand who will be in the room. Who is yeah. the audience? And actually even, you know, reach out to a few of them before you walk into the room with your analysis. Um, reach out to a few of them, um, get their feedback on on the drafts that you have. If, if they are understanding it, if they're getting the story that you're trying to tell, then you're getting there. If they're not, if their questions are different, then you might have to do a little bit more work on that. So, you know, that is, that is one thing that you have to do. You have to understand who's going to be in the room and... You know, if you have a network with with some of them, go talk to them, get their feedback on the draft versions of it. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, really see what questions that they, they are asking to see, are you getting the story across? What's missing? Yeah, and I think, I think that's a good investment of time, particularly if you're new to an area, to, mm-hmm. to get a sense of what's working and what could be better. I mean, it's just like any old recipe, isn't it? Right. The only way it's going to get better is feedback. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, we've covered a lot there about how the numbers help tell stories and we see you're really passionate about that. In terms of the future then, you know, what's exciting you most about the future of finance and accounting? The one thing that really, really excites me is that finance is at the um, at the crux of becoming your analytics champions for the company. We've always okay. worked with data. We, 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 we've always worked with data. We've uh, Finance people have... Um, 
dealt with data throughout. Uh, whether we call it as accountants or whether we call it as FP&A professionals, but we are the ones who work with numbers. And we are the ones who've found trends in numbers and really be able to present a, a holistic picture. I think one of the benefits, the, one of the earliest, earliest things that I learned about finance is that this is where I get a holistic picture of the company because we bring everything together. And we are at the crux if we want in the company to become the analytics champion. That's a matter of if you want it. You know, every finance function is looking at it a different way. But we can become the analytics, we can become the translators between business or data scientists that you're looking at. Because we can help translate the needs of the business to, you know, data statisticians and data scientists. Completely agree. And look, for some people that are a bit newer on that journey, like what, what practical steps could they take to to get get on that journey, perhaps? I think there are three things that I would say that they have to do. Firstly, of course, they have to understand the an, an, analytics. Now, you don't have to be a, a you know, PhD in statistics yeah, to do yeah. that, but understand analytics and also uh, partner with people who understand compliance and financial oh. regulations. I, you know, we in FBNA really love analytics, but as part of finance functions, we need to understand gap rules or IFR, IFRS rules. So we don't need to be experts, but we need to be part, we need to partner with people who understand that very well so that we can apply that in the analytics. Um, which this is where I think we bring really, really crucial understanding to the, to the business is, can you actually do that? What are the rules regarding that? What is the impact on accounting on that one? That's the second thing. And the third thing I would say is work with data scientists. You know, um, so work yeah. with the work with the people who are compliance rules and you know, experts in that. And the third thing is work with data scientists who understand the latest methodology of how you're looking at uh, analytics and uh, how you're understanding that, um, how you're applying the latest regression rules or what are the you know neural networks that maybe you can apply in certain places or whatever that may be. You don't need to be an expert in doing that. What you need to be able to work with data scientists is to apply that to the business within the rules and compliance that we have. Um, that is where I think we will bring the most value to the business. And this is where someone starting should really look at. I like that advice and I like the three parts to it. I also like the fact that you called out on the second one that partnering with other areas of finance and accounting. And I, I've just taken that for granted. So I'm delighted mm -hmm. you called that out. And also <laughs> the benefits of partnering with data scientists. I mean, look, we're not going to be able to get on this journey towards that future if we sit behind our desk, keep doing the things we do, like looking at Excel spreadsheets or dashboards up on our screens. We'll need to go and partner with other groups within finance and outside. Mm -hmm. So I really, really like that advice. And talking about advice, what's been the best bit of advice you've ever received, uh, Keetanjali? You know, I've had great mentors in my in my career. The best advice that I have received is, you know, take a moment and step back. Sometimes, you know, we are we are so uh, we are so in love with what we do, especially some of us <laughs> who love numbers, um, and uh, we we just want to go ahead and dive into the analytics and dive into, you know, I want to go and present this thing and this is, you know, and, and do this. But sometimes uh, the the advice that I've received is take a moment and step back, step back take a look at the bigger picture and really try to understand what are you trying to do? 
before you delve into things and, hey, I'm going to request this person to get me 10 years worth of data of this, 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 all, all of this stuff. And, and I'm going to do this kind of analysis. But if you take a moment to step back and really figure out what are you trying to do, it, it helps to really narrow down and focus what you're trying to do and 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 you know help you to understand whether i really need to do this at uh, you know at the level that i'm doing or do i can i can i do it at very quickly just prove it out before i request the 20 year worth of data that you need to do it um, <laughs> so you know that okay, is that I can is advice that I have yeah oh yeah, yeah. We, we're yeah. very good at yeah. like let's get the 20 year worth of data and we're going to get amazing analysis out of this yeah yeah if you if you want to lose friends and alien alienate people ask for more more and more data when uh when less could be done so yeah great advice <laughs> and you know the second one on top of that is actually the same in the same note was saying doing back of the envelope um you know calculations yeah. always yeah. always be ready because people are going to challenge your analysis is you know, when you're putting that story together, do a back of the envelope analysis check whether this makes sense or not. Is this making sense? Yeah. Because yeah, if, if exactly. it's not, then they're going to quickly poke holes in your analysis and that's it. Yeah, like, look, the fact that we've done some sort of finance or accounting training should allow us to have a rough go at doing back of the envelope uh, calculation. And th this gets easier as we, we you know, have, have longer yeah. careers in finance and accounting. True. So no, I really, I really like that those bits of advice, Gitanjali. Now, normally we go and sort of ask our our guest mentors a book to recommend others, but in, in your case, is it perhaps a movie you'd like to recommend our listeners? Sure, and I think it's a very famous movie, but I love this movie. It's the Apollo Thirteen. Okay. Um, it, I, I love that movie. I can watch it again and again. Um, and the the what I liked about that movie is that it was, as it said, it was the most successful failure ever. Um, the fact that you know what they understood that they had limited resources and they had limited time. They needed to figure out a solution and get the people back alive. Um, that that is exactly the kind of way that you have to think about things is that uh, you don't have to look at um, failures as uh, as something that you need to forget. You need to look at failures is how do I make success out of these failures? And that is what I really loved about that movie is how do I make a success out of a failure or or something that didn't go well um, in in our lives, there are enough enough times that, um, hey, you know what, there was a mistake in the an, an analysis. Hey, we, we are all, we've all seen how Excel breaks down and the links don't work. Um, or you go into a presentation and, hey, you know what, you just didn't get the message across or the audience was looking for something else or, you know, you, you did not look at a certain, certain thing that came up. And so how do I learn from those failures and come back up and do a better job next time? Um, that is what I learned out of that movie. And that's why I love that movie. A great way of sharing that lesson. It's one of my favorite topics, actually, failing in finance, because maybe we pride ourselves on being so accurate and so detailed and getting things right. Mm -hmm. It's hard for us, perhaps, sometimes to admit when we're wrong. Yeah. And But the fact, the fact of the matter is, 
I don't know about I mean, whether it's career or if it's outside of our careers, some of our best lessons, should we choose to accept them as lessons, come from failing at things. Right. And being creative solutions. I mean, even if you think about an opportunity in operations, that was, you know, like to, to, to improve looking at their bottlenecks. Bottlenecks come out, come because of failures. Mm-hmm. And if you help improve those bottlenecks, then you can help improve the business's results and people mm-hmm. will thank you for it and you can make an impact. But it's also like if we choose to do the same in our own careers, uh, acknowledge mm-hmm. when we've perhaps not hit the levels we want or we're struggling as well, that's a time to maybe ask different questions or reflect on what we can learn from it. So I really, really like how you shared shared that lesson via the, the movie Apollo 13, Kitanjali. It's, it's going to be very useful for our listeners. Thank you. So... So just sort of thinking now, again, I suppose to the future, if there was sort of maybe one thing and maybe we've just touched on it with the failure, we could do better in accounting and finance. What what one thing would we we, we should be considering for the future of um, finance and accounting? I think uh, one of the things that I would um, I would consider is um, the changing technologies that we have going on in, in finance and accounting today. The the world is changing so quickly um, and technologies around are changing so quickly. How is it that we actually keep up with it, but also deliver the best? I think those, those are the biggest challenges in that. And I think a lot of our companies um, have invested millions of dollars in legacy environments. So, but the world around is changing very, very quickly. And so how do we, how do we be a part and not get disrupted by that? Um, because finance um, is, again, not just a back office. It, it is enabling function with, you know, all of our companies. It's, it's an enabling function, but it's an extremely important enabling function. And so how do we partner with the business to make it as important to invest in these areas so that, um, you know, it's a regular investment so that we keep up with the changing environment and we don't get disrupted um, by companies that can do it much more easily, the fintechs. Uh, how do we involve the fintech in our companies and and keep up with that. I think that's the challenge that every FP&A professional will face. And in terms of steps or initial steps to overcome those challenges, any any ideas for our listeners? I completely agree with you because it would all benefit us and and so many companies out with those legacy sunk cost Mm -hmm. environments, getting their head around uh, accepting even to take these challenges on. But any advice on how we can take some small steps forward in the right direction? As small steps forward, I think one of the things that we have to do is network with each other and yeah, see yeah. how everyone, you know, all, all the companies are facing those issues and how they are um, solving those problems. I think that will help, uh, really, really help is network with other professional, FNA professionals. To keep yes. up your skills, I would say do a little bit more pro bono work. Pro bono work with nonprofits or startups. I think hmm. FPA professionals should be doing that. Um, pro bono work, especially with nonprofit. Nonprofits, some of the nonprofits are working with no resources, very few resources, maybe in softwares, which are small softwares, not legacy environments like big, huge SAP investments and things like that. And so, you know, work with them because then you would earn as well as keep your skills up to date in terms yeah. of what's what's there. And thirdly, I think we should be working with within our companies in terms of the strategy of how to do life cycle mm-hmm. management 
of our uh, of our environments. I think that's something that um, uh, yeah. we do not spend enough time looking at our systems, looking at our skills. It's not just the life cycle management of our systems, but also life cycle management of our skills of the people who would support those systems. Um, and, yes. and how do we do life cycle management of the skills as well as systems within FBA? Uh, absolutely. One thing I've seen a lot of companies miss along the way is this sort of life cycle management, not only of their own skills and capabilities, but also how to meet those of the customer, the life cycle of the customer, what do the customers value and how are they interacting with the business and big data enables all of that. And we can again help translate that story into what it means to the business and do something about it, which makes it better for the customer, but also makes it more rewarding for the business and our colleagues and ourselves that work in the business. So two fantastic uh, recommendations here about the future, Gitanjali. Fantastic. Thank you. Thank you. Good. So some of our audience get to know more about you. Uh, where's the best place to connect and find you at? I am on LinkedIn and that's one of the best places uh, to connect. I also have a blog, which that you already mentioned, Big Data and FBNA. Definitely would love to hear from anyone on, on reading my articles or just, uh, you know, reach out to me through LinkedIn or, or my blog. I am also tweeting um, and um, my handle is uh, TANTS, T-A-N-T-S-2-3. And again, you know, reach out to me through any of those three sources. Fantastic, Gitanjali. And I will put links to all of those resources and ways to connect with Gitanjali in the show notes. And Gitanjali, I just want to say thanks for some fantastic practical advice, particularly around telling the story and also some thoughts about where we could do better now and also into the future. So really appreciated having you on the show today. Thank you so much for uh, giving me this opportunity to talk to your audience. I really, really enjoyed sharing some of my thoughts and I look forward to hearing from some of them. So there you have it. Hope you enjoyed today's show. If you'd like to know more about our guests today, their bio, and follow up on the resources mentioned during the show, you can find all the relevant links and more at sitnshow.com. There you'll also be able to get access to earlier shows, read the latest blogs. There's also an opportunity to subscribe to our newsletter which will give you heads up as to when the next show is coming out, latest events, news, and anything that's going to be relevant to help you have a fun, rewarding, and successful career in finance and accounting. And just before you go, we really appreciate your feedback. If there's something we can do better on the show, something that's not working, or something you'd like to see, even a guest you'd like for us to invite onto the show, someone who you think might be able to benefit you more and also the rest of our community, please let me know. You can email me. I'm at andrew at sitnshow.com or feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn. Just drop me a message so I know how you found me and we can connect. And really it's our community that will make the show. If we keep engaging and driving each other on, we'll keep on building our strength in the numbers. And when all is said and done, if we can do the numbers better and finance better, we'll create more opportunities for ourselves, our friends, our families, our communities and our businesses. So until next time, have a good rest of the week. Take care and let's keep building our strength in the numbers.